Okay, good morning, church family. How are you? Pretty good. You all are ready to say the creed, aren't you? I know you are, but we're not going to do it today. You can sit back down. I know you're bummed out. That makes my pastoral heart so happy. A genuine catechesis has taken place in our midst. Thanks be to God for that. Good to see you this morning. Uh, this is your first time with us. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. We were out last Sunday, my family and I, for a little spring break trip, some R&R. Oh, so good. Much needed. And uh, our associate pastor of community life, Rory Green, covered for me. Can we give it up for Rory? Delivered a great message last week. We love you, Pastor Green. Does anybody call you that ever? Pastor Green. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. We're continuing our series this morning uh, entitled, Who is God? A look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We spent the first eight or nine weeks looking at the person of the Father through the lens of the Old Testament, getting a glimpse of his character and his ways. And now in the last couple weeks, we began to turn our attention to Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, as we head into Holy Week. So Lent ends with Holy Week, Easter Sunday. And then uh, that actually commences, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Easter Sunday actually commences what is known as the Easter season. So Easter isn't like a one-shot deal. But in the same way that resurrection is a new reality that is inaugurated, that the new creation is a new reality that has been inaugurated, so we actually celebrate the season of Easter. We dwell in the mystery of resurrection. So for the four weeks after Easter Sunday, we'll be focusing on who Jesus is and his resurrected life for the church, which would be great. But in these few weeks, we've been focusing on Jesus in the Gospels. And I love this statement of Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 9. Jesus is talking with his disciples, getting ready to leave. And one of his disciples, Philip, says, Lord Jesus, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And in John 14, 9, Jesus answered Philip, don't you know me even after I've been among you such a long time? He says, anyone who has seen me has seen... Yeah, so how do we know what the Father is really like. We look to Jesus. How, how do we know what the Father really intends for us? We look to, well, how do we know what the Father's will for us really is? Who do we look to? Jesus. Because anyone who has seen me, Jesus says, has seen who? The Father. As I've said, Jesus is God without remainder. When you encounter Jesus Christ, you're encountering the full will of God and being of God. It's a beautiful thing to think about. Now, one of the things that the church has always taught about Jesus is that Jesus fulfills and brings to fruition three of the dominant uh, Old Testament offices. So in the Old Testament, there were three offices that really guided the, uh, the people of God's life together. The first office was that of the prophet. The second was the priest. And the third was the king. Last week, Pastor Rory talked about what it means that Jesus is the true prophet. Prophets stood in the midst of the people of God and declared the word of God and the will of God, well, Jesus does that in a way that nobody else could do. And of course, the kings of Israel were responsible for guiding the national life of Israel and guarding the national life of Israel, leading it to where it needed to go. And Jesus, as we'll see next week, Palm Sunday, does that in a way that no king of Israel ever could do. But today I want to focus on Jesus as the great high priest. The priests stood in the midst of the relationship between God and the people, and what they did is they mediated the presence of God to the people, but they also brought the people before the presence of God. And in the Old Testament, they did that in very shadowy ways and incomplete ways. But as we'll see this morning, 
Jesus brings it all to completion, and he is a priest unlike any priest who ever came before him. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We ask that as we open the scriptures this morning, that you would give us minds to understand what you're saying. And hearts to open wide to you and to receive you and to fall down at your feet. We pray that something of your beauty and your mystery would be encountered by us here today. We ask that you would pull back the veil of reality that you would help us see. And Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know. And then he lists all these things. That's what I'm praying this morning. I'm asking that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we may know who Jesus Christ is for us. And that we may fall down at his feet again. So come, we pray, this morning. We're asking that you would inspire us, inspire your word in this house. May the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said. I'm going to be in the book of Mark chapter 1. Turn there in your Bibles if you have them. And There's a lot of places that we could go in the New Testament to focus on kind of the high priestly role of Jesus. But I wanted to focus on this one because I think that in a way, uh, actually in a very profound way, this text right here is a glimpse into the whole redemptive work of Jesus Christ as our great high priest. And so it's Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. The text reads that a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees If you are willing, the man said, you can make me clean. And Jesus was, what does the text say? Indignant. I'm going to come back around to that later. And Jesus was indignant. And he reached out his hands and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest And offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And instead, he didn't really listen to Jesus here. He went out and he began to talk freely. So Jesus gets some free PR here, spreading the news. And as a result, and I love this picture. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town openly, but stayed out in lonely places. And yet, even in the lonely places, people still came to him from everywhere. Because there was something magnetic, attractive about the life of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Leprosy is a massive issue in the biblical mind. You probably have a note in the margin of your Bible, if you've got some study notes there, that says that what this guy was dealing with, what Mark calls leprosy, is really a catch-all to describe a whole bunch of skin diseases that were really pretty virulent in the first century in the ancient world. They're dangerous and they were scary. And When you start thumbing through the Old Testament, you realize that this is a massive issue in the Old Testament as well. You come to the book of Leviticus, for instance. Leviticus is this book that basically describes what it's like for the people of God to have the sacred presence in their midst. And so it's all regulations concerning the tabernacle and then later the temple, the sacrifices and the offerings that are supposed to have. How do we house the divine presence? And one of the issues that's a massive issue is this issue of these skin diseases, what Mark describes as leprosy. When you come to Leviticus chapter 13 in particular, one of the longest chapters in the entire Bible, and it's all about this issue. It's all about, now if I have a spot on my skin that looks like this, what do I do with it? And Leviticus says, well, if you have a spot on your skin that looks like this, 
Go show yourself to the priest, and he's got a couple little tests for you. And depending on how those tests come out, you'll either be restored to the temple or the tabernacle in a little bit, or you're going to have to quarantine and sequester yourself away. And if it looks like this but not like this, you need to do this. And, of course, there's this circumstance where it could do this. It could present in this way. I mean, it's exhaustive, exhaustive description about what you're supposed to do when all of a sudden you hit that moment when your skin begins to decompose. And when you get to the end of Leviticus chapter 13, it starts addressing scenarios where whatever is going on in your skin doesn't actually get better, okay? And there are times that all it takes is a week and the thing will kind of go away and you get to be restored. But at the end of Leviticus 13 and verse 45, Moses says that anybody with such a defiling disease, that is, if it doesn't get better, you need to wear torn clothes let your hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of your face, and then you're going to cry out what? Unclean, unclean. Next verse. As long as they have the disease, they must remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Can you imagine what this would be like? These people didn't do anything to deserve or earn what's going on with them. And the punishment... (laughs) For having this thing is that you've got to go around. You let your hair become unkempt, torn clothes, face covered, and everywhere you go, unclean, unclean. Like, don't come near me. Don't touch me. But I've got something going on that you don't want. The concern here is two things. The concern is both with corruption and with contagion, Right? Something is going on in you that we don't really understand and we don't want it to get on us because it might begin to decompose us. The whole community is put at risk. Guys, that's what this guy was dealing with in Mark chapter 1. That he'd lived his life outside of the community, apart from everybody. He's sequestered, he's away. He doesn't get to go be near to the... He doesn't get to go and worship in the way that everybody else gets to worship. He doesn't get to go and draw near to the divine presence and open up his heart. He's an outcast, an outsider. And yet when Jesus comes by... He presses through the crowds and he falls down on his knees. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me well. And Jesus does a miracle on his behalf. But this is the issue. The issue of corruption, the issue of contagion. Now all this may seem very far from the life that we live. We go, ah, oh, this doesn't, I don't know if it really relates to me and my, my moment. And, but it does. You remember when you were a kid, growing up in school, and the boys didn't get near to the girls, and the girls didn't near, get near to the boys because of cooties. Right? Something is wrong with you, right? You stay over there, and we're going to stay over here, and whatever, is that, whatever it is that you have that makes you weird and strange, we don't want any of that, you know, cooties, right? But we also, more seriously, you know, I think about two years ago, this moment, we were in a quarantine. And the reason for it was this disease, COVID-19, that we were struggling to come to grips with. And we knew that it ravaged the human body, that it could destroy human life, that it had power. And we weren't sure what, how that power behaved and what it did. So what did we do? We sequestered ourselves in our homes and we shut things down. Two years ago, this moment, I mean, I'll never forget. As long as I live, I will never forget driving around the streets of Colorado Springs. There's nobody out there. Like the rapture happened or something, you know? 
And we're all left behind, quote unquote, trying to make the best of it. But it felt like that. It was so, it felt like a dystopian novel. It was bananas. But what was that? It was fear about this thing that's happening in our midst that has the power to decompose human life. And don't get too close to me if you have that thing, because that thing is going to rob things that I value. And many of you in this room, you lost people through COVID-19. We know what this is like, guys. I think about growing up in the 80s. And I remember when the HIV AIDS epidemic first really started hitting the United States. A power that we did not understand. We just knew that it wrecked human life. And we also knew that it was very predominant among the gay and lesbian community. And so there was not just the disease, but there was also the fear about the disease, I think, was part of the disease. And the way that all of a sudden you're awkward around people and you're not sure about who you should associate and what you should touch and what you should not. Guys, we know this. This just is our situation. The situation of human beings after the fall is a situation where there are powers unleashed in the world that we don't understand, but they're degrading human life. And we're concerned that if we touch them, that they'll begin to degrade our lives as well. Are you with me this morning? The Book of Common Prayer and its burial service, one of the things that it says, which I think it says so well, is that in the midst of life, we are in death. And that just is our situation, isn't it? That we're living our lives here and trying to serve the Lord and have normal families and marriages and relationships and all of that. And yet there are things that happen that cut off the flow of life. They cause decomposition in marriages and in families and in relationships and in our finances and in our bodies. In the midst of life, we are in death. Which is why one great commentator of the book of Leviticus, Ephraim Radner, says this. He says that the real meaning of leprosy and the reason that it's included and given so much attention in Leviticus... Its real meaning is the corruption or the decomposition of human life. Leprosy becomes like this figure. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol for talking about what life under the sun in a fallen state is like. That there are powers loose in the world that are decomposing and corrupting human life. And we're not sure how you catch those things or don't catch those things. All we know is that we need to keep ourselves safe in some way, shape, or form. So the Bible actually, it uses this, this thing that's going on in Leviticus, it will actually use this as a metaphor to talk about the whole corruption that has fallen among the people of God. Jeremiah chapter 30, the Lord says, your wound, Israel, is incurable. That's what leprosy is, isn't it? It begins to decompose your flesh and nobody can do anything about it. Your wound is incurable, the Lord says. Your injury is beyond healing. Verse 13 There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore. There is no healing for you. Like the whole national life of the people of God is looked at as a leprous body that cannot be healed and needs to be excluded in some way. Paul's summary statement for our state of being since the fall is this, Romans chapter 6. He says that the wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal Life, that somehow we walked away from God and death comes walking into the world and it spoils and it pollutes everything, guys. And the pity of it is that it spoils and pollutes everything even when we're not totally responsible for it. See, it's not just the sins that we commit, but it's the way that sin actually impacts our lives. I think about, I think about a guy when I was first on staff here for my first year at New Life. I was a pastor on call one weekend and I got a call from a guy and, uh, hi, this is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors at New Life. What can I do for you? And the guy introduced himself. He said, hey, my name is Roger. I said, hi, Roger. What can I do for you? And he said, well, I've been to New Life a few, 
times and years past, and so I know about New Life, and I really appreciate y'all's ministry. And he said, but I really need a pastor to come out and pray for me. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, I'm dying of pancreatic cancer. And he said, I, I'm, I'm at the end of my row, probably in the last few weeks of my life, and I need somebody to come and pray for me. Can you come out and pray for me? And I made arrangements to go and see Roger and the next day. Drove on up to Monuments where he was living and rang the doorbell and his daughter answered the door. He was staying at his daughter's house, his daughter and his, son is, and his son-in-law's place. And I remember walking in to that house that day. And there are times that, you know how like when you walk, you walk into somebody's home and there's an atmosphere of health. <laughs> you can feel it in the air when the marriage is working and then when the relationship with the kids is working and when there's financial health and all the things that need to be taken care of are taken care of and the house is neat and put in order. And that's like uh, something in us says yes to that. And I remember walking into this house and everything that you hope to walk into in a house that's in order, this house was in disorder. Uh, it was dark and dank and piles of just <laughs> rubbish, trash everywhere. And I remember the daughter led me into the room where her dad was. And her dad, they had cleaned out, they had cleared out the den and like made a, a space for him. And he was like, I mean, just at the ends of his bodily life. And I remember looking in his eyes. His eyes were yellow and his skin was yellowed out because of all of his internal organ failure. I mean, I just remember thinking that this, this is what, like this is what sin does. Like what sin does is sin robs human life. When Jesus says that the thief comes to steal and, and, but I have come that they would have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's the enemy's work to bring about the decomposition of human life. And I remember sitting there and just this life that had spun out of control like a collapsed star at the center of their universe, you know. And I remember sitting by Roger's bedside and anointing him with oil and praying over him and pleading that God would bring life to his body. Was Roger responsible for his state? No. And yet because of the decomposition of his life, He's sequestered and he's alone and he's groping after life. Guys, that's our situation. That's our situation. And sometimes we wind up in places like that because of decisions we have made. Roger, in this case, was not culpable. But oftentimes we are culpable. I think about all the people that I've sat with over the years whose lives were spinning out of control. And so many of the conversations I've had with people were because of decisions that they had made. Decisions they made in their marriage, decisions that they made with their kids, angry words that passed back and forth between siblings, selfish things that happened on work sites or between business partners. And all of a sudden processes are let loose that start destroying a life that you can no longer arrest. I think about all of those things. I think about the marriages, the couples that I've sat with that were in serious trouble because of decisions that they have made. Guys, it's both things. It's not just a matter of culpability or non-culpability. It's a matter of the wages of sin is death. That what's happened is we walked away from God and it opened the door for destruction to come in to our world. And the question in the midst of all of this decomposition, all of this decay, all of this corruption is who is Jesus Christ for us in the midst of it? In the midst of a human situation that's falling to pieces, who is Jesus Christ for us? And Mark tells the tale. Mark chapter 1 again. 
at verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, Mark says, was what? Indignant. Why do you think that he was indignant? Somebody came up to me after the first service and they said, I don't like that Jesus was indignant here. I said, why not? She said, because it seems like he's mad at this guy for asking the question, you know, can you make me clean? And I said, I don't think he's mad at the man. You know what I think he's mad at? The leprosy. Do you know that the stuff that is wrecking your life makes God angry? Sin is an invasion in God's good world. Death is a usurper of God's good world. And when Jesus meets it, he doesn't excuse it. He doesn't accommodate it. He doesn't go, well, hey, you know, that's just kind of the way things are. If you could just accept it and adjust yourself to the reality of your leprosy and become serene in the midst of it, everything will be fine. Jesus doesn't do any of those things. What does he do? He gets angry. Jesus was indignant, the text says. And then he reached out his hand and he did what? Touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Now here's, <laughs> here is the gospel of Jesus Christ going into motion. The priests of the Old Testament, guys, if you came to them with a skin condition like this, that was decomposing your flesh and wrecking your life, they had no way of making you clean. Do you understand that? They had prescriptions for what you should do. Hey, go over there, buddy, until it runs its course, you know? Quarantine yourself over there. But they couldn't make you well. And if you happened to get well, they would accept that as a miracle from God. And then they would make the offerings and the sacrifices to celebrate that God had made you well, but they could not make you well, okay? And the prophets of the Old Testament, and here I'm thinking about the great story of the prophet Elisha. Do you remember this story in 2 Kings chapter 5? A man by the name of Naaman, who is the commander of the Aramean army, comes to Elisha one day because he has leprosy all over his body. And his king had sent him there. Go see, so there's a prophet in Israel, the king said. And the prophet can make you well. And so he comes to where Elisha is staying. And Elisha's servants greet Naaman at the door. And Naaman goes, hey, can you send the prophet out? to come and put his hand on me and heal me? Do you remember what Elisha does? <laughs> There's no way in heck. I'm not getting near this guy. I'm not touching that thing. I'm not going to imperil my prophetic ministry by potentially getting leprosy like you have. And so Elisha gives, via his servants, he gives Naaman's instructions. Hey, go down to the river, wash yourself seven times, and your flesh will be restored. And it was. Jesus is better than the prophet, the priests of the Old Testament. And better than the prophets of the Old Testament. Because unlike the priests, what Jesus does is he reaches out his hand and he touches the man. And somehow the man's life has changed. And unlike Elisha, he doesn't. And he could have, by the way. You know, Jesus could have gone like from a distance. Be healed! But the symbolism of what he does that he addresses not just the decomposition of this man's body, but he addresses the social isolation and the shame and the guilt and the exclusion, the ostracization that this guy has got, all of it. And Jesus in one fell swoop both heals him 
and restores him to fellowship. And so Jesus says, hey, you're going to run off to the priest now and you're going to show him that I did something for you that the priests could not do. Are you tracking with me this morning, brothers and sisters? I'm saying to you that this is what makes Jesus better. And I don't know what it is with you. I don't know what the thing is that you're carrying that feels like a decomposition. Decisions that you've made, things that you've said, things that you've done, processes that you've released into your marriage or your family, your friendships, your business relationships that are causing the destruction, the chaos of sin. I don't know what those things are. And I don't know what the things are that have been done to you that have caused a kind of decomposition in who you are, your mental health, your spiritual health, even your physical health. What I do know is who Jesus is for us in the midst of that. Guys, he's God in a body who stands in the midst of our corruption and he is not corrupted by our corruption. (laughs) But what happens is that somehow when he touches this man, it's like the great exchange takes place. That the leprosy, the disease of this man passes into Jesus and it's swallowed up by his limitless life and his life is released back into this man, restoring him. This, by the way, is what the writer of Hebrews describes as the great high priestly ministry of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, the writer says that this priest, Jesus, has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry. (laughs) This is good. But on the basis of the power of what? Who is Jesus for us? He's the one who stands with indestructible life in the midst of a humanity that's falling apart. And he says, that, give me your worst, I can take it. What's the thing that's causing your life to be torn to shreds? I can take it. What's the thing that's causing you vexation of mind and spirit? I can take it. What's the thing that you did in your marriage that's causing it to be torn apart? I can take it. What's the thing that you did to your children that's causing them to spin? I can take it. What was done to you? that you've spent thousands of dollars on therapists to try to fix and it can't be fixed. I can take it. And I have taken it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It all got piled on Jesus. All of it. The whole leprous condition of the human race got piled on Jesus. And here he stands in the midst of humanity, communicating life back to it. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say about Jesus, that because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And therefore he is able to save completely, as the old translations say, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Friends. What's the thing? What's the thing where it feels like you haven't been able to get your grip on it? Where it feels like your life is falling apart? Where it feels like you're being torn to pieces? What's the thing? What's the thing that you did that makes you feel like you're an outcast, an outsider, excluded? What is it? Here is Jesus Christ for you laying his hands on you right now and taking it all and giving you life. Would you put your faith in him this morning? Can we stand?
Would you now hold it up just like this? Hold it up before the Lord. The man with leprosy falls down on his knees before Jesus. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, for all time, says to him and to all of us, I am willing. Be clean. And so, Lord Jesus, we hold it up before you here. We hold up the things that were done to us or the way that sin has ravaged us in a way that we are not responsible. And we say, Lord Jesus, Son of the Father, if you're willing, you can make us clean. And we pray that now you begin to release your life. And we hold up before you this morning, Lord Jesus, all of the things that we have done that have created chaos in our lives, that have made our lives leprous. Where it feels like life is falling apart, being torn apart. And we say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make us clean. And you say to us this morning, I am willing to be clean. And so I pray over your whole people this morning. Jesus, you say that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that you're there in the midst of them. And we pray this morning that there would be a release of life in this house, just like there was for that man in the first century. I'm praying a release of life in bodies that are ravaged by illness. Lord Jesus, come, heal. I'm praying a release of life in those that have been damaged by trauma. We say, come, bring peace and tranquility. Lord Jesus, I'm praying over all of those marriages and families and relationships and finances that are spinning wildly out of control or just in a thousand different ways have been damaged by poor decisions. We're saying, release your life. We're saying, come with your kingdom. Come with your power. Come with your glory. Come, healer, great high priest. Have your way in our midst, we're asking. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Let's respond with this song of worship and then Pastor Colin is going to lead us to the table. Reaching out to make me whole, reach 
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
So do it now. Would you hold in your heart the things that God is saying, give me thanks for this. Would you thank him that he is coming to you? The table is open to those who've called upon the name of the Lord. Scripture says that those who have done this shall be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for that. If you need elements, you can grab them at the table by the door. But would you just hold them in your hand? What you have in your hand is, it represents the proof that Jesus comes and he walks the lonely places. He took on flesh to come to you. To come to the lepers, to come to those who are in need. That's why he came. And as a high priest, he stands next to you, representing you to our Father in heaven, to God. But the high priest of the Old Testament did not have power to forgive. All they would do is say, God, look at this, this sacrifice. And this sacrifice is an atonement for their sins. But what Jesus can do that a high priest in the Old Testament cannot, not only does he represent us to God, but he is the atoning sacrifice. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed after he had given thanks, just like we have tonight, he took bread. Would you break it in your hands? He was pierced for our transgressions. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you receive it? The same night after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's a, it's a new promise that I have for you. Would you receive this gift? Thank you, Jesus. And now we simply respond in worship. Would you lift your voice and sing the doxology? Church, lift up your hands. Jesus Christ, he is a high priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. And that is the very life that he gives to us. And he gives to us. And he gives to us. And he gives to us. This morning he has laid his hands upon us and said once again, I am willing, be clean. And so we pray that your cleansing, healing, restoring work would drop down into the innermost. 
and make new creations out of us. Send us out of here this morning with blessing. Send us out of here this morning with the power of the new creation, the power of resurrection at work in our bodies. And so, my brothers and sisters, I say to you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward if you need prayer for anything this morning. Maybe something was stirred up in your heart this morning that you'd like prayer for. We would love to pray for you and with you about that. It might be that you're here this morning and you'd like to be introduced or reintroduced to a relationship with Jesus. We would love to pray with you about that as well. Brothers and sisters, you are loved. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next week.